Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to yet another episode of Lip Service. How are you guys doing today? Excited for this episode today. I have on my friend, singer, songwriter, guitar player extraordinaire, Andrew Watt. This guy just got nominated for a Grammy yesterday. Incredible for producer of the year. He's worked with everyone. He's an old friend. Post Malone, Ozzy, Dulipa, Camila Cabello, Bieber, Selena Gomez, Cardi B, Lana Del Rey. List goes on. I'm excited to have him join us in, in just a moment. It's been a while, and uh, I'm excited he's finally tuning in here. He actually came down with coronavirus, which we'll talk about, as did I, as we spoke about last episode. This is the second episode of the new season, season four. Excited in just a moment to have my brother Andrew Watt join us. Stay tuned. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. I want to welcome to the show... My old good buddy, Andrew Watt, mega record producer, songwriter, singer, guitar player extraordinaire. You've been busy. You just got nominated for a freaking Grammy, my brother. Congrats. I'm so happy for you. Dude, your place looks rad. Well, well, well you know, one day we'll get together outside of the Zoom and we'll do an actual, we'll do a thing, you know? I Crazy, love your shirt, right? by the way. How are you? I'm good, man. Is this your studio I'm looking at or is this your uh, guest room or something? This is uh, it's my house. It's one of my, my, it's upstairs. I'm, I'm in my den. Um, but yeah, my studio's downstairs. If you can hear guitars. Yeah, of course. Well, truth be told, you and I have been friends for many, many years. I'm so freaking proud of you. Uh, yeah, I, I saw, a lifetime ago, right? It's crazy. What a wild ride. I mean, I, I, honestly, like you got the you got the message yesterday that you got nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. Man, we've been friends for I'd say at least ten years because I always credit you as the guy that got me onto Instagram. <laughs> is that true? That is true. 
That is true. You were um, holding on to your Tumblr for dear life. And you're just like, no, dude, you don't get it. Like, I'm not an Instagram guy. My Tumblr, like, everyone goes there. To, to, I'm good. I'm good on Tumblr. Like, Scott, what's wrong with you? That's back, that's back when Tumblr agent. was a thing. You're an agent. You, you need to be on Instagram. We got you there. Yeah, and that was, I guess that was like eight or nine years ago, Andrew. It's crazy. This wild ride of yours. I mean, first of all, how are you? Because I know you had the coronavirus and I, I spoke to you a little bit because I got it like yeah. a month or two ago and I texted you about it to yeah. give me some advice. But how are you feeling now after all this time? Right now we're talking on this thing the first time. I was like, I, I wish we were hanging. And yeah, we will. We will. Stuff we used to do. Me and you get after it together we, we will we will we, i was talking about that with our buddy nur the other day he's like make sure you give andrew like a sake bomb and a red bull i'm like dude it's zoom there is no sake bombs or red bulls that's called a dead bull exactly he's exactly. like make sure you give it to him i was like i would exactly. love to if I saw him. it's called a dead bull it's jaeger it's jaeger it's two shots of jaeger and half a cup of red bull together and it 10 of those and you're up till uh, nine in the morning with Nurkan in uh, New York City. Well, I want to talk about your whole path and journey. It's, it's super inspiring and incredible, dude. And I, as I said, I'm so proud of you. I mean, we grew up, you grew up on Long Island, yep. as I did. And that's why I always looked at you as like my little brother or something. And you grew up on Great Neck. And in fact, just a two-second sidebar, my, my father called me the other day and I texted you. And he's like, do you know this kid named uh, Andrew Watt? And I'm like... Yeah, what do you mean? Do I know? He's like, uh, I know his father. I mean, there's such a Jewish geography thing going on over there. It's crazy, right? The way it goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But walk uh, me through everything, bro, because I've known you for so many years. I'm so proud of you, like I said. play golf together. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, <laughs> when I knew you back when, you were just gigging out at places like the Electric Room, yeah. and we bonded on the rock and roll thing early on and, oh, yeah. and everything else, and we used to hang. But since then, obviously, you've gone on to work with Post Malone, Ozzy, Dewey Lipa, Camila Cabello, Bieber, Selena Gomez, Cardi B, Lana Del Rey, the list goes on. But uh, more importantly, I want to talk about how you started, right? Uh, and, yeah. and you are feeling good, you said, by the way, right? With the, with the whole yeah. coronavirus? Yes, totally. You know, there's, there's this post-COVID thing that happens. Um, and just randomly, I'll be really tired some days, but some of that is mental. And I don't really, you know, know, know what it is. It happens way less than it was happening it took me a long time to like feel kind of normal again but my lungs are healthy my heart's healthy my brain's healthy i'm making great music and i'm so thankful to be here um i had pre-covid like the best year of my life and got to work on my dream project with ozzy and yeah we'll go on to all that all those guys yeah that coming, you know and then i just got hit like a ton of bricks but you know life's a tough gig and you yeah. can't predict how it's going to happen then you just gotta surrender yourself to what's happening and try and get through so yeah that that's that's all good um they, they call that effect the long haul or actually there was a piece on 60 minutes about it this weekend how a lot of people have these lingering effects. i have you have that right yeah totally it's just um, uh all of a sudden one day you'll be very tired or or you're not feeling yourself and it's the after effects of COVID. I don't have that because I had a very mild. I was super fortunate. In fact, I remember when you posted about it, there was like 300,000 people that looked at it, commented on it, and it was an, an insane viral Instagram because I don't think a lot of people, at, at that point, you were one of the first people that I knew and a lot of people knew that got it. And, you know, I had a, I had a real in moment in that time. I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm not that guy. I like to talk about 
the music I'm making and the art, and I don't want to be, you know, it wasn't like, help me, you know, I was, didn't want to be like that, but I was there and so many doctors at that point told me, there's no way you have this, do you know what I mean? And so many people that I know were like, it's not real and everything. And I just felt like, it's like, yo, I am going through this. I gotta, I gotta use my voice and talk about it so people take this seriously. And a lot of my friends and people I know were like, I did not take this seriously until you had it. And then I quarantined, otherwise I wasn't going to and stuff. And so, you know, but it's real. saying this, we're literally in the worst part of how we've been in LA's shut down again today. And they say one in 250 people are literally positive for Corona right now. So it's rough. Um, and what's nuts, Andrew, is that there's actually people that deny there's all these conspiracies out there. I had it, you had it. We're here to tell you this is a fucking real thing, right? I mean, yeah. you know, fortunately, like I said, I was very blessed, like it was super mild, but I did text you. I think the thing, and you can probably attest to this, it fucks with your mind in the sense that you think it could take a, a turn for the worse. You can end up on a ventilator. And so I was fine. But more importantly, I think people kept saying, you know, after the first week, you know, you could end up in the hospital. And I text you and you're like, take take zinc, take vitamin B, take elderberry. You tell me what to take. Yeah, but, but the um, most important thing that I, at least that I learned was take Tylenol. Because yeah. yeah, oh yeah, you tell me Get that it, too. you're positive, take Tylenol every day. Yeah. Because the worst thing that can happen to you is you can get a fever. And then if you get a fever, this thing fucks you up, totally. you know? So if you take the Tylenol and you keep a fever away, far away from you or fever down, your body's going to fight it. I didn't know what was going on. I took all this medicine that these doctors that were just trying to help me, they thought I had a flu. They didn't know what was going on. It's, you know, it's not their fault, but um, they were so, it was such a foreign thought at that time, March 5th, you know, yeah. um, that I took, you know, Tamiflu and prednisone and all this stuff to fight a flu that I didn't have. My body was weak. I got the fever and and pneumonia and then that's it but and it and, took you like a month to get over it right more or less a long time. yeah yeah long time. well i'm glad you're better i, I mean so much i like i want to talk about positive stuff yeah yeah totally totally i'm glad you're better i mean i only touched on it because it was such a, a big thing that happened to you but you know let's take me back to the beginning because your life like i said i mean i feel like i had an inside seat to see what happened with you yeah. and, I'm, and i'm so proud of you like i said and you know you're rooting for your friends and when you see your friends succeed like this it's such a fucking good feeling and when I saw that post yesterday, like I reposted it. I'm like, producer of the year. Like, dude, we were just hanging years ago at the smile and talking music. And and to see your whole journey like this has been so incredible. So talk me through like when you started at an early age. I mean, I want to talk about your heroes. I want to talk about your path. I know you went to like the Clive Davis School of Music and all that kind of stuff. But tell me about the early beginnings. Like were your parents supportive of you trying to get into music at a young age? And what were you, you know, when did you realize that was your calling? Um, I went to go, I loved music always. My parents loved music. My brother loved music. Um, my sister loved music. We all loved music. No one played or sang or did anything, but my dad played me the Beatles. My mom played me Stevie Wonder and George Michael and Neil Young. And um, I remember going to see uh, George Benson, when I was like seven years old at the mm. Westbury Music Fair, I'm sure you went there yeah, as a kid too. <laughs> and he's singing what he's playing on the guitar at the same time. And I remember that just like fucked me up. And then you're a kid and you got MTV and 
I'm watching Nirvana on the TV at all times, you know, as a young kid and Pearl Jam and the Chili Peppers and Guns N' Roses. And I'm just, I want to do that, right? And I'm just, I love it. I love listening to it. So I went to see my cousin in a play, in like a school play. I was 10 years old and there was a pit band and I didn't watch any of the play. I didn't even want to go to the play. I remember it distinctly. But there was a pit band. And there was this dude standing up. He had long hair. He must have been like a 25-year-old kid or something. And he was standing up with a bass. And the bass was low on him. And he was playing this music. It was probably like a chorus line or something. I don't even, Bye Bye Birdie or some play. I don't know what it was. But he was playing it like, a, like he fucking meant it. And he was at a low bass and he was going like this and he was playing and I was just watching. I was like, oh my God, that's like, that stuff, like that guy's doing what they, do you know what I mean? And um, the stuff that I see on TV and he looks like that. So during the intermission, I was very, not a shy, I was not a shy kid at all. I was, would go up to anyone ever. And I went up to this guy during the thing and I was like, is that a guitar? What is that? I was talking to him. He's like, it's a bass. He was like, do you play? And I was like, no, I don't play. He's like, you could play. And I was like, no, oh, I don't, I just remember him saying you could play and putting his bass on me. It's like, what's your favorite band? It was like Nirvana. And he taught me, put my fingers, one, 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 four, 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 four. And I could just play Smells 18 Spirit, like right then and there, never picked up. Before he put my fingers on the thing and I had the coordination between this hand and that hand and I could just play it. And I was like, fucked after that, you know? Next day, went to the music store with my dad, the music zoo in Queens. And I got up, I wanted to play bass because of this experience. And I, actually the guy working at the store, I remember was like, yeah, you could play guitar, but if you play bass, you always have a gig. <laughs> the world needs bass players. It's a, it's a great line. And um, so, but there was no lefty basses and I'm a lefty. So I got a righty bass. And I learned righty, even though I was a lefty. And so that's why I have this weird way that I play. My left hand is strong. And I could do a lot of stuff that like people would do with different frets by bending and stuff. I play with my thumb a lot. Um, and I think it's because I'm, I'm le left-handed. I really only play guitar right-handed. Um, and yeah, so that was my, how my love affair with music. But that started like seven. And at a certain point I, I read somewhere that you actually go for it for the roots and you kind of snuck into one of the rehearsals or something. Is that where it really, is that sort of the second phase of where it began for you? Um, yeah, I made albums and like stuff as I was in high school with my bands and stuff. And then um, I didn't want to go to college. Um, and my parents were like you're going to college, Jewish family. You know how you know how it rolls. Everyone, great grandfathers, great grandparents, all went to college. Um, and um, I said, if I get into NYU, I'll go because I could play at all these bars. And I used to go even in high school. I would sneak in. I would steal the car, and I would, you know, drive the 20 minutes to Manhattan and go play at blues bars. I used to play at the cutting room in the bitter end when sure. I was 16 years old with all at, at this guy, Richie Canada, who was Billy Joel's saxophone player. He had this jam 
then it would start at 11 and it would go to four in the morning. And, you know, and I, that was my school. I went there and I would see all these guys, these amazing players that were, you Such know, cats and side stuff. musicians. They, yeah. Everyone that was there, no one was there that was paid. Everyone just went there to get off, mm. you know, get some, no practice. You just got thrown on the stage. You signed up and Richie knew all the good musicians and played saxophone and he'd call, okay, let's get you, 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 come on. What do you want to play? And they just call it right there. And they, and you had to just think fast and play a song you might not know that well, but you had to know the key at least and you'd just go. So I cut my teeth there and I would play, I learned from all these different blues and jazz musicians and I learned to pick up horn parts on the moment and play along and and it was great it was amazing for me so i said i would go to nyu if i got in i got into nyu um and i spent three semesters there and while i was there the roots had just gotten their fallon gig this is 2007 2008 it's 2008 they just gotten their gig with fallon and so they started these jam sessions too because they saying i think same kind of thing no, get theirs. So they're at the Highline Ballroom and I went with one of my friends who I was, you know, we were freshmen, college, and we were watching and I was like, I'm gonna jam with them. And he was like, okay, dude. I was like, trust me, dude, I'm gonna jam with them. I'm going to. And so I waited till after the show. And I talked to Questlove and I was like, hey man, I play at these bars all the time. I would love to jam with you guys sometime. And he's like, okay, give that girl over there your number. Super nice to me. He's yeah. like, and we'll, you know, we'll get you up. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to do it, right? So this woman's name was Ginny. She worked for The Roots. And I gave her my number. I got her email. Three days go by. I don't hear anything. I write another email. Call. I don't hear anything. Day before the jam. Next week, still don't hear anything. So I just got my guitar and I showed up like when I thought sound check would be, which was like 2 p.m. Or How did you know? You just took a guess and you're, I'll show up yes. in the middle of the day. Just, yeah. Okay, they're going to be setting up gear. I played yeah. gigs my for you know, I'm yeah, not, yeah. they're going to be setting up at this time. Right. So I walk up and I see the security and I have my guitar and I'm like, yeah, I'm playing in the jam tonight. And they're like, okay, cool, right this way. You know, showed up at the right time, I had the guitar. Um, I was 17. And uh, I got in and the girl is there and she sees me and she's like, you hear her mouth drop. She knows she's been fucking me all week, right? right? So they give me a bracelet or whatever. And I'm standing there by the side of the stage with my guitar in a case for the whole night. And they don't call me up. They don't, nothing. And so I'm like bummed. But I see the woman the whole night frantic. She's running around. She's getting black thought what he needs and the other guests what they need and trying to get the people on stage. She's freaking out. So my brain goes, okay, I'm in this music business program and I need an internship. Maybe I can intern for this woman and then that way I'll get to go to the jam every week and I'll get to be around all these great musicians and hopefully play. And and that could be my internship doing this thing. So this I'm, was coming to you while you were with your guitar waiting to get on stage. Yeah, besides <laughs> yeah. So I pitched this to her and she's like, send me your resume, right? So I get the school to write me the thing and do it and I get the internship. So I was an intern for a, a website called OK Player. 
which was a, it's a, still around, it's a music reviews website where they review music. Questlove started it a long time ago. And I was also the Roots intern for these jam sessions. And those two things were like another level of school for me where, you know, I was a rock and roll kid and I learned all about R&B and soul and hip hop and like music that I only knew, like, you know, the popular Biggie and Pac and the things that were, you know, available to me from my brother and stuff that he was playing me. And I learned all about Bilal and D'Angelo and Erica Badu and all of this, you know, music that I just wasn't hearing before, music soul child. And, you know, it was amazing for me because the rock that we like, it's a lot of playing. This was about not playing and about when space. To space. Yeah. And the parts you play mean something and then you give space for the MC to do their thing. So I loved it. And I would go and, you know, get weed for Black Thought and, <laughs> and whatever they needed, you yeah. know, just be around. And I became really, really tight with Kirk from The Roots, the guitar player. And he would jam with me and show me little tricks. And I watched him and I got a lot of my lead stuff that I do from watching him every single night. Like that was like literally school for me. And then one night, you know, a month in or whatever, I had brought, brought my guitar every night. Um, Kirk had a family emergency and he couldn't make it. So Quest is like, all right, kid, you're up. And I'm like, what? I didn't bring my guitar that one night. I didn't of bring course, my guitar. Of course, of course. I'm showing up to work. I always have to hide my guitar somewhere and then make sure no one stole it at the Highland Ballroom. So I run, <laughs> literally run from 16th and 9th to my dorm room, Weinstein dorms. Washington Square Park, I run back, I get my guitar, my Strat, run all the way back to the thing and I get there in time and I play and I killed it. I had watched enough and I was taking the cues the right way and playing and like, that was like my acceptance. You know, they like let me play a bunch of times after that and I got to play with all these different people. What a great story. And it was just amazing. And those guys are still all friends of mine and when they do their Grammy jams, I always get to jam with them and play with them and we all talk all the time and I've done the show a bunch of times with different artists and and it's just like it's just a beautiful thing you know and that was like my first experience of like being close to idols of mine and they all treated me like you know an equal I was their little intern and I had yeah. to go get them <laughs> stuff but they all treated me with such respect and it's just like there's no other way to be anyone that's a dick or an asshole like, why would you do that? To yeah, I want to talk about that for a minute. It's interesting because I know that you just, I mean, and we'll go back to your timeline here, but I know that you work with Elton John recently. I was listening to yeah. an interview with him the other day. Even Elton John had his heroes. It was Leon Russell. It was Neil Young. Ozzy yeah. is, you know, obsessed with the Beatles. I had some of the guys from Kiss on, and I'm pretty sure I have a, another guy from Kiss on coming up, and they're all obsessed with the Beatles. So everyone has their heroes. And yeah. now, Andrew, you're actually working with all your heroes, not only are you jamming with them, you're actually winning Grammys and, and doing records with them. So that's gotta be such an incredible feeling for you. I mean, do you feel like this has been a long you know, haul for you or, or a short rise to sort of notoriety and fame? No, I think it's been, I dedicated my life since I'm 10 years old to playing music. You know, I'm 30 now, so I just turned 30. So, you know, the second I picked up a guitar, I knew that this is what I wanted to do and I was, you know, gonna do anything I could to play 
there's no other option for me. But you were um, slugging it out for a while. I mean, I remember there was times you were playing at the electric room. Obviously, you started yeah. playing with Cody Simpson at a certain point, right? That was yeah. sort of like, would you say that was your first kind of major gig, more or less? Yeah. So, so the Roots thing happens. I meet all these artists, and I, I started playing with this kid that I knew when I was growing up um, named Jared Evan, who got signed to Interscope, and randomly his song goes number one in Greece, right? So because of like the Roots thing, he wanted me to play with him and yeah. stuff. It was like, I just, one thing led to another, right? And I got this opportunity to go on tour in Greece. I was getting paid a hundred bucks a day. And <laughs> I days. knew my parents would freak out if I went. And I just went. I told the school, I was like, I'm going on tour. And I left and then the school reported that I was in danger of failing to my parents <laughs> and I'm getting these calls like it's ringing like that for my dad like, where the fuck are you I'm like I'm in Greece like, what like I'd never been out of the country without my family before yeah. whatever he's like what are you doing I'm like Jared's song went number one in Greece we're on tour we're here we're touring in Greece for the next three weeks he was like come home right now you're missing school it's like I'm not coming home and my dad just put it to me really simply. He's like, if you don't come home right now and you wasted the, you know, I was very blessed that my, my dad was taking his hard earned money and paying for my college. You know, I was lost on me how amazing that was. And I said, I'm not going. And I wasted his money on college. And he, at that point was just like, that's it. You're cut. So I moved into, uh, I, I came back. I was said, I'm going to show everyone. I, that kid got dropped from his label, right. unfortunately. Yeah. And, and uh, how are you surviving? Because it's $100 a week is not enough money to obviously survive at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, so that gig's over, right? Yeah. And I'm living in this apartment with my friends that we got. I had to move out of the dorm. And I am literally starting to play gigs all the time. And this is about the time you and I are becoming friends. I would do like a Hendrix night and like play the Mercury Lounge and try and do all these things to yeah. get all my friends, all the Jewish geography and all the people <laughs> that are like in, in, you know, that I know in the city to come. And then after a while, people stop coming. They don't want to see the same shit over and over. <laughs> so I go out all the time with my friends and I'm going out and to nightclubs with my friends. And I see like one of my friends, he's in dental school. And he's literally getting paid like a thousand bucks a night to DJ at like One Oak and all these clubs. And he's fucking hammered. He's hammered. <laughs> and he's like DJing like with his friends and drinking. I'm like, this guy's getting paid a thousand bucks a night whenever he wants. And I'm like struggling to take home 300 bucks from one of these gigs. I'm like, I'm doing the wrong thing. So I had this idea. It was like, let me plug in to your DJ booth through the mic line. I don't even bring an amp, nothing and get me paid like 200 bucks. And like, I'll rip bluesy guitar over your dance music or hip hop or whatever it is. And we called it pink cashmere and it started being a thing. So where were you guys performing that? Was that at one Oak? Oh, was that, that was, we did electric room. That's electric like room. I was going to say, I feel like you did that. Right. Room, one Oak, Richie would give me gigs at one Oak all the time. We played every Tammany hall. We played every single nightclub in New York. 
there wasn't one that we didn't play. Every hotel lobby, every nightclub. And it started being this thing. It turned into a thing like around New York. We started getting corporate events and I was like fully living off of it. And it was great. So much fun. All my friends would come and drink for free and we would play and it was just, it was awesome. And then I learned how to fit my guitar kind of into dance records, right? That was again, another like school moment. There Which will come into play later in your life, obviously. Now. Yeah, dance, yeah. pop, popular records that people loved, hit yeah. songs that people want to hear when they're out. And playing kind of guitar over it and following the lines of the keyboard lines and all the different stuff. Um, and so that became kind of a thing that people wanted to see around New York. Um, and it was so much fun. Those are like the best days, best days ever. And funny enough, the original Chainsmokers, before my boy Drew was even in, in uh, the Chainsmokers, we, me and them, Pink Cashmere and the Chainsmokers would like, they would start, we would finish, then they would finish, we would start, like we were like all coming up together, kind of yeah, in the yeah. city. No one had any hits. We were all hammered all the time, smoking, playing, doing our thing, making a couple hundred bucks a night. So um, around the time of that is doing a thing my friend kind of we had a gig and he's like hey man i'm gonna be a dentist like i just you know this whole dj thing is not really gonna work out for us <laughs> breaking up the band you know it's like spinal tap like right. exactly spinal tap just you too but he's breaking it up yeah <laughs> and so around that time i got the offer to uh play go out and tour for and play guitar for this kid cody simpson who was signed to atlantic records was an awesome artist and he was a pop artist at the time and that's just not what i did you know i was in my rock bands and i had the the uh pink cashmere thing where i was playing heavy guitar and i just didn't want to do it then i found out i would get fifteen hundred dollars a week and i was like what fifteen hundred dollars a week at my I'm, it's cured. I'm good. I can pay rent. I'm, I'm good. I got to do this, you know? And so I didn't know that I wanted to do it because it wasn't my type of music that I really loved. You know what I love and we yeah. love the same shit. Ramones and yeah, yeah. Blondie and all the stuff that we always talk about. Cody, well, a little bit later on though, fast forward, right? It becomes this like pretty amazing click that you're part of, right? Because Cody then starts dating Gigi and then it's not, it's like your whole social life. I'm sure it just, everything changes, right? You're not yeah. just like, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. It was a fun time, you know? Um, but what I was going to say was that whole, you know, experience for me, I didn't know that I wanted to do it. And then all of a sudden we're touring, we're playing Jones beach and we're playing all these things that I grew up wanting to do in all these amazing venues. And I'm learning how to play in a larger setting. It's different rocking a club than it is playing in an arena or, uh, you know, a big hall like that. So I do this tour and it's supposed to be the summer tour, three months. And then at the end of the tour, we find out we're going to open for Justin Bieber on this huge arena tour around America. So I'm like, all right, I'm down to stay for that. I want to play MSG and all these things and that I've always dreamed of doing. So I'm staying for that. And then... That's when me and Justin met and I was start, had started writing for people at that time and did some songs with Cody um, and 
me and Justin really bonded on those tours and then we toured all of Europe and then we toured all, just it just became this thing where we were going all over all over the world and and at a certain point you start riding with Justin and are you like holy yeah. shit this is like life-changing for me because you know a few years ago I was plugging my guitar into a DJ and we were playing at the electric room but you had to be like this is definitely going to be a life-altering thing I'm, I'm riding for maybe one of the biggest if not the biggest pop artists right now right yeah and and also even before him cody was like so gracious with me and wanted to sing my songs and like you know all these people were so important and pivotal in my life you know um and like tried to let me do stuff and justin the same you know i had my first hit song with justin in 2016 called let me love you with dj snake and I remember playing that for Justin and he's like, this is amazing. I'm going to sing this song. And it's like, he took a chance on me. I had nothing. You know, I was a guitar player in the opening act. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and he's one of my closest friends um, still to this day. Talk That's to incredible. Him. Even before that though, you joined the band in 2015, Glenn Hughes, yeah. Jason Bonham. You've yeah. actually played with some of the best drummers in the world. So Jason Bonham, Chad Smith, Joey from Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, I did Incredible. that. I did a bunch of pop touring. And then I, you know, you know me, I had these rock and roll dreams. And through, you know, you come out to LA and you're working and you're going out, you meet all these people. And my friend Julian Lennon, who I knew from New York, from yeah. the, he used yeah. to come to the electric room all the time. Sure. You know, Julian. Um, introduced me to Glenn Hughes at one of Julian's photo things at the Sunset Marquee. And I was a big trapeze and Deep Purple fan. Yeah, of course. And he couldn't believe that I knew who he was, which was funny, but he, he's obviously got the awesome lead singer ego right. in a good way, but he couldn't believe that a young kid knew with trapeze. So we bonded and we started writing together. And so I left that whole kind of pop touring thing to um, to be in my band, which was California Breed, which had Jason Bonham and Glenn Hughes in it. Um, and that was awesome. We went to Nashville and we recorded uh, an album to tape with Dave Cobb, who's the producer. Sure. Which yesterday I see the nominations for producer of the year and he's nominated and I'm nominated. That's incredible. And it's the guy that, like one of the guys that taught me how to produce records. The other guy was Jimmy Douglas. Um, in Miami, uh, but we're on the same thing. And I'm like, I learned how to do these guitars from you and we're on the same thing. And I called him, it was a beautiful moment. Amazing. Um, well, at a certain point you move out to LA, Andrew, and you're working with people like Ali Tempozo, who you still write a ton of songs with. How did you like integrate into LA so quickly? And who were the people that you were integrating with? I mean, you go from moving out here to all of a sudden, I mean, fast forward now, Miley Cyrus. I mean, obviously, I want to talk about the Aussie record. We have to talk about the Aussie record. But how did you integrate into LA so quickly? I mean, I remember you moved out here. You know, there was a social scene happening. And I remember it was obviously Bieber and you were writing with Selena and people like that. Yeah. But fast forward now, it's been, I don't know what, let's say it's been five years and it's everyone. It's Lana, it's Cardi B. So how did you integrate? I mean, was it, you know, was it like your manager that was connecting with artists? Was it the label? How did you integrate into in this culture so quickly? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to, you know, I just always, I lead with music. Yeah. I love what I do every single day. I wake up, you know, 
my house doesn't have any plaques in it, doesn't have any this many records sold or awards around. It's like just the art I love and things that inspire me. I'm never looking back, I'm only looking forwards. I love to make music and I kind of brought that with me everywhere I went. And, you know, I love to socialize and have a drink. I don't, don't do it really as much anymore because it's working all the time. But, you know, I just kind of meet people in L.A. And, you know, someone said to me a long time ago, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And I think right. that's probably my basis of my career where, you know, I don't really believe in luck. I believe if you dedicate yourself to something and you work at it and you practice at your craft and all your instruments and you play and an opportunity presents itself, you better fucking kill it. And if you kill it, then you deserve what you're going to get from that. And if you don't, it's okay. Maybe you'll get another try another time. But I think it was a matter of being really prepared for these opportunities that, that were, were happening. And also, you know, making shit happen, you know, yeah, I mean, Post There's was so a big many, thing for you, right? So a meeting Post and working with Post yeah. and that whole crew. So how did that happen? How did you guys meet? Um, I got, you know, after the California Breed thing, I got signed to Republic Records as as an artist um, through John Varvatos' label there. And um, Post was also signed to Republic around the same exact time. So we were like both new artists on the label at that time. And we kind of, he came to one of my shows, Lewis Bell brought him to this show I was doing. And then we just bonded like literally immediately. We love all the same music. We love playing guitar together. And we had a night in the studio that night, actually Justin came too. And just instantly we could write together immediately. And this just friendship, you know, came so naturally and we love making music together and we make music together to this day we just you know a couple of weeks ago we were in the studio together and he's one of my favorite people in the world and i think probably the most important one of the most important artists of our generation without what i love about him is he's all these great rock elements and that's probably one of the things i'm sure that you add to the equation right because Rock and roll, we can talk about this for hours, and I know you have to go soon, but rock and roll is obviously in a state of flux. I don't know what's, you know, you talk about it, if you're a new rock band, you come out now, the ability to make it like a band like the Peppers or Van Halen, or that, that's sort of like, it's not happening anymore. People yeah, are not- talk about it all the time. And, and, and millennials don't really take the rock and roll, but what they do take to is artists like Post that will collaborate with Aerosmith, will collaborate with Ozzy, right? So I'm sure that's your doing and a lot of your influence on a lot of these artists. So I, let's fast forward because obviously you work with so many amazing artists in between, Lana, Cardi B, whoever, but obviously the Ozzy thing is something we have to touch base on. One of my idols growing up, Sabbath, obviously a, another way we bonded, but how was that working with one of your heroes? And, and, and walk me through the process and what it was like for you. I mean, it was, magic it was like it felt like i was in the clouds and i honestly kept saying the whole time i was like something bad has to happen because this is too good this is yeah. like this is You're not pinching supposed to yourself be this is this is a dream this is like the whole time pinching myself from every single part of it you know and and then you know then the corona happened so then i felt equalized so i was like okay no one's supposed to have no one's supposed to look in a mirror at 11 years old with Chili Peppers and Guns N' Roses and Ozzy and Sabbath posters on your walls 
and then make an album with all those people is just not supposed to happen. Yeah. I don't know if it even ever happened before. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just like such not a real thing. Yeah. Um, You've always been a huge Chad fan and then you became like best friends with him. So it all worked out really well. Yeah. We're having Thanksgiving together tomorrow. It's my amazing, best amazing. in the world. Um, and what a brilliant musician just beyond. It's like my, one of my musical soulmates, you know, yeah. we, we do everything together. Yeah. So, um, you record yeah. a song with Post and Ozzy, and that so, leads to Ozzy calling you, right? Yeah, so me and Post love to drink together. And we'd always talk about how these places in LA suck with the fake people. And I was like, let me fucking bring you to the rainbow. <laughs> you will love this place. He's like, what's the rainbow? Didn't, not from here, didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. Brought him to the rainbow. And he's like, finally, I'm fucking listening to... Ozzy, literally, like, uh, you know what I mean? I'm listening to, like, the shit I love. Yeah. I can drink a fucking, as many beers as I want, have a good pizza, and all the biker dudes are here, and it's just like, I'm at home, right? So bring him there once. He goes every night after. He becomes, like, the new Lemmy there, you know? Spandex. No. He's just <laughs> there every single night. Yeah. And he, that's where he loves to drink, and yeah. brings a whole new crowd there, and it's, yeah. it's what it is. So the legend goes that... He was there one night and he was hammered and there was an awesome picture of Ozzy on the wall and he bought it off the wall in cash. And the studio that he works at is very close by in West Hollywood. So he walked the picture down Sunset Boulevard to his to the studio. He's holding this picture hammered on Sunset. And I heard that and my brain, I loved it, laughed hysterically. My brain immediately goes like, imagine if Post and Ozzy did a song together. Like that would be the fucking coolest thing ever. And I had just met Kelly Osborne, who's an amazing person. And she made the entire thing happen. Um, I called her after I had that idea and she thought it was the best idea ever and loved Post and talked to her dad about it. And she was like, write something for him and I'll play it to him. And then Ozzy got really sick. He had an accident sure. Sure. he fell and broke his neck and had to get immediate surgery and then got pneumonia and was kind of really one thing after the other and he was recuperating for a long time so the song kind of sat for a while and I kept staying on Kelly but but more checking in on Ozzy when it would be a good time because everyone still really wanted it to happen Post would check in on it and Lou would check in on it and so um, I finally heard from Sharon one day that they played it to him and he fucking loved it and wanted to do it. So she said, uh, Ozzy wants to meet you. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I run upstairs, I open my drawer. I'm like, which Ozzy shirt am I wearing? I like, found which one I wanted to wear and like, put on my Ozzy shirt. Amazing. And brought a guitar over and drove over to his house. The door has a crucifix yeah. doorknob on it, the whole, whole thing. And I come in and I meet Sharon. And uh, then Ozzy comes in and sits down with me and talks to me and he's like, who the fuck is singing on the fucking song? It's fucking amazing, why do you want me? I'm like, cause you're Ozzy, I mean, that's me. I'm, I'm just, I'm, it's just a demo thing. You gotta do your own thing to it and rewrite write your, your part and he was like what do you want me you sound fucking great 
And I was like, because you're fucking Ozzy Osbourne. And he's like, whoa. Right? And he's like, well, what kind of music do you like? I'm like, you know, my dad played me the Beatles. He loves the Beatles, as yeah. you said. We yeah. talked about the Beatles for a long time. I had this George Harrison tattoo on my Amazing. finger that always reminds me to play slide guitar the right way. And we just talked about the Beatles for a long time. And I, I whipped out the guitar and kind of showed him how the song went. Because, and, and I think now looking back on that, he probably really liked that because he always worked with the guitar player. He had the best guitar players ever. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I Randy Rose to whoever. Yeah. yeah. And Zach Wild. I mean, he Becky always, Lee. everyone, yeah. With the guitar player writing. And uh, that started our relationship. And he came over the next day and sang the song. And then uh, Kelly called me being basically in tears being like he's the best he's been he wants to take my mom out to dinner he's so happy you guys have to do an album together and I was like an album like I don't know if I can if I can do that and you know Chad was like you are fucking doing this album you want to make rock music I want to fucking play drums on it we called up Duff Duff is like Andrew you can do this so those guys really gave me the courage to like step out and do this shit and, and at this point, it's like surreal for you because you're like, did Ozzy Osbourne just ask me to do a record for him? Yeah. Like, it's, it's and I'm just coming thing. off of doing Senorita at that right. point, Sean and Camila, which is like a big pop song. So you would think you would go from that to another big pop song, but yeah. I just went the exact opposite and made the rock album of my dreams. Ordinary Man, what a great track, an amazing track. Dude, that's got to be like Elton John and Ozzy. There's like a crazy story behind that song, right? Yeah. Um, so this Ozzy album, the uh, original tracking happened in like four days with me, Duff and Chad. We wrote this body of all of this, these tracks, but the actual production of the album took a long time. You know, it's like something, it's like painting, you know, you got to let the ink dry, the paint dry, and then come back to it the next day and keep crafting and adding. And that song had so many layers done to it. Um, I'll start with the, just take it from its inception. Um, so me and Duff and Chad, I had this piano thing that I had been sitting on for actually like a couple of years, this, these chords that just never turned into a song. I played them for Duff and Chad and we kind of turned it into this big rock ballad. And um, then I had Ozzy come over for the first day of the album and I, he wanted to work on the ballad first because obviously he loves the Beatles, like you said, and that one was kind of, not to say we sound like the Beatles, that's, I would never say that ever, but it had <laughs> things stolen from that kind of stuff, right? So um, we write these melodies together, me and Ozzy, and kind of record the melodies. And then um, he left that day and I'm listening to the melodies and I'm thinking like, this line, you know, my friend Billy Walsh came over who writes a lot of Post Malone stuff with me. And we're just talking through this guy and just kind of like what, you know, it would be a cool thing for the song to be about. And I sang, I don't want to die an ordinary man. It just came out. It just kind of came out and Billy made sense of it. He's like, that's really fucking cool. And so that was like a thing. So I was like, okay, next day Ozzy's coming back and he's going to write some lyrics listen to those and let's see if that can fit in or if he's got something different. So he comes in and he says, oh, I wrote these lyrics. What do you think? He hands me this page and I fucking swear to God, I can go get the page right now. On the page, it says the first line 
says, I am just an ordinary man. How surreal. How crazy. He wrote that <laughs> himself without talking to me. That's a connection you can't deny. That's incredible. What an incredible that, story. Like, this thing that people are always like, what's it like, right? How'd you write this song and how'd you do this? There is magic that occurs. There is lightning in a bottle that Definitely. occurs. And, Definitely. and a lot of that's lost in music today. And it doesn't mean it's bad, but music is made. And a lot of music I make is like, I make, you know, a loop of the guitar and a beat. And then, you know, we add computer drums to it. And that whole like people playing in a room together. And if that thing is like lost and this album is that. It's the album Incredible. that I always dreamed of, dreamed of making. So the concept was zeroed in on big time. Um, and uh, we wrote that song kind of together. And it was kind of just Ozzy's reflection on his life and his fans. And he had a near-death experience. And it was just like, you know, if, if it all goes away, um, you know, I never wanted to be ordinary. I, I'm I, all the things I did got me here. You know, it's kind of like that kind of song and an ode to his fans. And then obviously so, you got Elton on it, which was crazy. So, th so then, so then, I'm the kind of person where I just I say my dreams out loud over and over. But when we, we even when we we're making the song, I think Duff or Chad was like, it kind of feels like Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, or it's just that era of Elton with the piano. Because I played the original piano on the thing, and I was like, we got to get Elton on this. And Sharon's best friend in the world is Elton, so I said, we got to get Elton on this. And Ozzy loved the idea of having him play piano, so I just said it over and over and over, we got to get Elton on this. And I think even one time I played the song for someone, and I wanted to, to hype it up, and I was like, Elton John, play piano on this. He hadn't even played the piano on it. <laughs> Um, You're always great at that, by the way. I'm <laughs> doing that kind of stuff. Nothing's changed. You speak your dreams into existence. Yeah, some totally. People call you crazy, and some people will tell you no over and over again. And and sometimes the stars align, and it's great. You're only hearing about the ones that work. You yeah, know? the manifestation. So anyway, so it comes time to do guitar solos, and Duff got Slash to come in and play the solos on him. So Slash comes over, plays the solos was an incredible experience. Then we go to Abbey Road, me and Chad, and we record the guy that did the strings on the first Sabbath album, did the strings for this, he's in his 70s. And we recorded them at Abbey Road where the Beatles are and put a choir on the song and the whole thing. And then the last step, Sharon calls me and she's like, Elton's gonna do it. And I was like, what? So I get on a plane, I fly to Atlanta, and I get told before by Elton's guy, have a chord chart ready for him. And he's going to do the song and then he'll probably just go because he doesn't like to sit around in the studio a lot. So just be ready for him because we don't know how much time he'll have. He's in the middle of his tour and his day off, he comes in. Yeah. To do it. So I wrote out the chords on a chart for him with the lyrics and the whole thing. And um, he comes in and plays through it like a bunch of times and does this amazing intro. And he started singing along with the song. So I was like, do you mind if I record you kind of singing as well? And he was like, sure. And he just was so easy. And then he stayed in the studio after he was done with me and Chad for six hours. Amazing. Six hours, just talking, <laughs> playing us music, playing us the stuff that John Lennon used to play him, the stuff that John Lennon was stealing to make songs and his favorite songs of his, and then listen to my music. And I got to play him all this stuff I was doing with, 
Dua and Sean and other ones of the Aussie record. And, and it was just like this magical connection. And, you know, we email back and forth now all the time. I email him, he answers in 30 seconds. You know what I mean? He's just like the coolest, kindest person. And like, you know, I'm living proof that you can meet your idols and they can be fucking awesome. You know, you always hear that, don't meet your idols, they'll be dicks. And, and I'm sure that we've all heard those stories, but my experience, I'm so lucky to, you know, these people have treated me with grace and made me like feel like I'm dreaming. So, so that's that story of that song. And, and it, you know, when I was on the plane home from Atlanta, I cried listening to the bounce. You know, I never cried from music that I made before. I cried, cried from other songs that I've heard before, but I was just went back to being a kid in headphones and like, oh my God, like that's Chad, my favorite drummer and Duff's playing bass and that's Ozzy singing. And then Slash comes in and plays a guitar and Elton sing. I'm just like, I couldn't, it was too much for me to take. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you're definitely pinching yourself. Like I never thought I'd be, I mean, did you ever think? too much to take. Yeah, yeah, like Something bad is going to happen because this is too good. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, it was, it was amazing. I can't, can't even believe that it's incredible. Yeah. So incredible. And so fast forward, you know, you work with Miley. I know you're working on a solo record now. So on your solo record, my, my kind of last few things I was going to ask you, you know, anybody you have on the solo record that you really drink, like, is it Robert Plant that you want to work with that you haven't yet? Or who haven't you worked with that you still want to get on this record? Cause I feel like you've almost ticked all the boxes, right? At this point, like, you know, Grammy nomination, Chad, Ozzy, Elton, I don't know who, you know, who else, you, I mean, so many people, right? But who's not on this record, the solo record that you're working on now? A lot of people are on it. I'm not gonna talk about it until it comes out <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's a really special thing, but I can tell you a little bit about the solo record. You know, these moments like the Post and Ozzy thing, I, I enjoy making those records so much because you take people from different worlds and put them together and it becomes this joyous thing. So the album is all collaborations. You know, it's me collaborating with people that I've worked with in the past and that I have story with and pairing them with different people. And it's super fun. And it sounds like the best band ever with different frontmen on each song, you know? And it's all different ranges of music and pop and, and um, danceable music and rock music and all genres, kind of all the different things that I, that I do. Um, Maybe a 2021 release. Is that what we're looking at? I yeah. would assume so, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll start putting out singles uh, in the next couple of months. Um, I want to work with Paul McCartney more than anything ever in the entire world. Um, kind of, he's the Mecca, you know? So hopefully one day we can make that happen. Well, if anybody can do, you can, my brother. I'm so freaking proud of you. I'm so happy I got to see you finally. I know we've been trying to get this uh, yeah. happening for a while. I just so. we did it. Yeah, me too, me too. And and hopefully we'll get to hang in person one of these days because Zoom is cool, but it's not the same as like... A backyard sandwich, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Never totally. hurt body. <laughs> we will for sure. All right, I love you, my brother. I'll see yeah. you soon. Yeah, thanks for the time. Definitely, I'll see you real soon. All right, Bye. Andrew, bye-bye. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. So that was exciting. Andrew Watt, my good friend. Haven't seen him in a while. He's doing incredible. He's a little busy. As I mentioned, he got his Grammy nomination a day ago. So by the time you listen to this, just a couple days ago. But it's a whole lot of fun. I wish we could have uh, had more time with him, but he's obviously very, very busy. But even the hour, I could have gone on speaking to him for another hour or two. So if you like the show, 
please make sure you rate and review the show. It's really important to us. Have a lot of great, exciting guests coming up. This lockdown is going to affect again in LA, I believe, Monday. So crazy times we're living in. Stay healthy, stay positive, keep your head up, and we will get through this together. Be well, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.